Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Tuesday, July 28th, 2020, and we had our weekly Bible study this morning at 10 a.m. Uh, if y'all are in the Fredericksburg area and would like to join us, you're more than welcome to do so. Um, Tuesdays at 10 a.m., um, we adhere to social distancing protocols and things like that, or can, you can spread out nice and I've got a microphone and everything. So if, if you need to hear me a little bit better, I can always turn the volume up, but, uh, we'd love to have y'all join us. We, we, uh, covered, we covered what we la- talked about last time on, uh, Hebrews chapter 10, the last little bit. And then we got into chapter 11, but we didn't get as far as I'd like. Uh, we only got to about verse 16, but even then we didn't get too far into it. So next week we will cover the majority of chapter 11 verses one through 31. But, um, we cover some good topics today, uh, from persecution to endurance in the faith, what the meaning of faith really is, how it is a mystery and all these good things. But I'll save that for the Bible study. It's a little long, but hopefully uh, it'll um, give you something to think about. Uh, If you have any comments or questions or things that we missed in this Bible study, please feel free to comment. Um, And uh, don't forget to subscribe to us on whatever your favorite podcast platform is, whether that be iTunes or Podbean or whatever. Anyways, um, here, without any further ado, here is our Bible study this morning on Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 16. Well, we get started here. That's all on. Everything's good. Okay. So, the Lord be with you. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, in times of trouble... In times of pandemic and disease and, and um, trials and tribulations, we have nowhere to turn but to you, O Lord. You are the one who gives us all good things, and you are the one who allows certain trials to fall upon us. We pray for Kimmy at this time, who has been exposed to COVID-19 and will be tested today, and we ask that, that if, it, if it is your will that the test would come back negative. But if it is your will, we ask that you would strengthen her in the face of a positive, um, in the face of a positive um, um, result of the test, that you would help her to know that she is your dear child and that you will see her through all these things and even grant her eternal life in the face of all these trials through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We pray again. Um, Almighty God, beautiful in, in majesty and majestic in holiness. You have taught us in Holy Scripture to sing your praises and have given your servant, Johann Sebastian Bach, grace to show forth your glory in his music. Continue to grant this gift of inspiration to all your servants who write 
and make music for your people, that with joy we on earth may glimpse your beauty and at length know the inexhaustible richness of your new creation in Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Okay, so we'll continue to pray for Kimmy and uh, let us know what the, the outcome is. How long will it be before she has the results? Um, they were pretty quick to be there in that way. So we'll just, we'll just wait to hear back. Um, well, okay, so for Bible study today, we, where were we last time? We left off the end of chapter 10, right? Um, any questions that rose up since last time about the end of chapter 10? The, uh, I think it's uh, verses 26 through 39. Any thoughts arise over the past week about this text? As if we don't have enough to think about already. <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, just as a quick recap, um, what was discussed last week in that last part of chapter 10? What did we talk about? Anybody remember? <laughs> yeah, here, I'll just go ahead and read it real quick and we'll, we'll, we'll just do a quick recap before we move on. Um, the author of Hebrews writes, For if we go on s s sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation for judgment and a, jury of, and, and, and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened and endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while... And the coming one will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. 
And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So remember last time we talked a lot about um, persecutions, um, what that looks like, what it looked like for these people that the author of Hebrews is addressing. What sort of afflictions and persecutions did they suffer? And you can see them there in verses um, 32 through 34, really. What sort of persecutions are being implied there? Public humiliation. Public humiliation. What were you going to say? Well, I told you. Yeah. Wait, what's he saying now? He's saying what now? Well, <clears throat> I've told you. I've told you what to do. Okay. And if you don't do it, tough. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. What saying. Yeah, he's saying, you know, you've received this good, gracious gift, and for you to turn around and throw it away, yeah. you're throwing away something that is beautiful and that was meant for your good, and now you're going to be judged for it. And what are you throwing it away for? What sort of persecutions would they possibly have to endure and last throughout? Like what? So. Well, they were thrown in prison. Yeah. Uh, their property was confiscated. It looks like. Right. Yeah. They had guilt by association in some ways, right? They would go visit people in prison, right? It says. Um, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Uh, I don't know, and Dr. Kleinig doesn't say in his commentary, but there was a problem in the early church where, you know, uh, the Roman authorities were openly persecuting Christians because of their faith. But what's interesting about that is that it's not that they were uh, persecuting the Christians because they didn't like what they believed. If you were a Roman citizen, you could believe whatever you wanted to believe. All right? Even the Romans, whenever they conquered a place, they would, uh, it's kind of funny what they would do. When they would conquer a place that had different gods, they would find out about that place's gods, and they would give sacrifices to the foreign god for victory over the people, so that when they conquered that people, they would say, look, your god, whom we sacrificed to, gave us favor, so obviously your god even wants us to be lords over you. And they had no problem adopting these other gods into their pantheon. They had no problem saying, you believe whatever you want. The only thing we ask is that you uh, give a little pinch of incense at the altar for Caesar, worshiping him as a god, right? So when Christians wouldn't do this, they weren't charged with being Christians. They were charged, ironically enough, with being atheists. 
because they wouldn't believe in the God that the Romans wanted them to believe in, which was Caesar and the state, right? So when Christians would say, we can't offer anything, we can't do these things you're asking us to do because we worship the one true God, that's when they would get persecuted. And what would happen was they would have their belongings plundered, which meant, um, you know, they probably have had certain things stolen, but if you had some of the sacred scriptures with you, you know, like a pastor would have even like whatever sort of communion wear they would have whenever they would celebrate communion, that, that would be stolen because the Romans knew that if you take away the, uh, the main focus of worship, which was Holy Communion, then you take away the reason for gathering. Right. Uh, very sinister and very cunning on the Romans part. Uh, so this is possibly what that's talking about. Uh, Dr. Kleining doesn't say any of that, that that's what's going on here. But what they've suffered so far, right, he's calling them to endure all the more, saying, recall the former days after you were. Um, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, right? Um, we see here that uh, he's asking them to remember how they've already gone through these things and they've come out on the other side of them. And he's saying more things are sure to come, Right? Being a Christian doesn't mean that you're free from suffering. Whether that's from people in the world or whether that's some sort of disease or affliction or something like that, your own family, uh, something along those lines. Remember when I told you that um, uh, when I started at the seminary uh, in fall Greek, started a fall Greek class and our professor said, you better know what you're getting into because as soon as we start this class just by walking in that door and starting this course and on on your way to becoming a pastor Satan has painted a target on your back and he's not just gonna come after you he's gonna come after your family your friends everyone you love trying to get to you and it's intensified on the pastor because the pastor is the one who proclaims God's word, his word of salvation. Uh, and sometimes to the same extent, sometimes to a lesser extent, it's the same way with Christians, with all Christians, that we have a target on our back painted there by Satan himself saying, this is the one we gotta go after because this is the one that by their very life is the one who proclaims the son of God who saves them from their sins. And we can't have that, right? So consider these things and all the things that you suffer and consider them as um, part of the cost of being a Christian, knowing that these things are meant by God, funny enough, to drive you closer to Him, right? Um, but specifically here in chapter 10, um, remember how, uh, was it? 
verse 29. Uh, about, you know, well... The parts here where it's talking about, you know, um, spurning the Son of God. I think Dr. Kleinig says, that, you know, it's literally trampling the Son of God. Talked about that movie Silence, right? Um, did you? Yeah. It's pretty powerful. That would be a real test. It's... I mean, it's a fictional story, but it's based on actual accounts um, that persecution was so severe. They would even, if someone was guilty in Japan during the feudal, feudal Japan with, you know, um, samurai and everything like that, uh, they, they, their religion is Shintoism, and, you know, they saw it as a threat. That if you were a Christian, they would, like in in the movie, just to give you an idea of what's of, of of what kind of persecution they face, they would crucify them on crosses, not necessarily piercing their hands and feet, but they tie them up on these crosses out in the water and wait for the tide to come up, and they'd be and, and they'd slowly drown that way, you know. And all they had to do was recant, but most of the time they cried out for Jesus to save them, right? And it's interesting to watch that movie and see these people who have a very simple faith crying out for God to save them. And then in the end, you see this priest who ought to know better trampling on the image of Christ, hearing this voice that's actually very diabol diabolical uh, and satanic saying, you know, go ahead, step, I can take it. Whereas he ought to know the scriptures well enough to say, well, my Lord has said, whoever denies me before man, I will deny before my Father in heaven. Right? So that's a little recap on what we talked about last time. Uh, and it was pretty heavy, um, but I think it was very necessary for what we face right now uh, in this world. Because it's subtle still, it's subtle uh, but it's growing more in intensity. Like, there's more and more radicals out there calling for the end of churches and breaking of statues and all this stuff like that. And it's just ridiculous. Uh, but it's not to be unexpected. So that means we should expect these things. Sad as they are, they ought to be expected because, well, to a certain degree, uh, so many people have forsaken the true God for a lie. And what do you expect when you give in to the pleasures of the world, the things of this world? If the world hates Christ, what do you think someone of the world is going to do, especially when they realize there's no real recourse for going after the church? They're going to get bold and they're going to come after you, you know? Um, so it's a, it's a grim... The movie is Silence. Silence. Yeah. Viewer discretion is advised because it's pretty yeah. rough to watch. I saw the movie. Oh, you saw the movie? What did you think about it? Oh my gosh. It was hard to watch, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I don't, it's, it's, not, it's not for the faint of heart. I'll say that. Um, it's really hard to watch uh, at, at certain points. It was awful. Um, 
There is an interesting part though that I'm not sure what I, I'm not sure what to think about it though, because there's this one guy who is with the Jesuit priest a lot, and he always wants to go to confession, and uh, and but then it's funny because as soon as he confesses his sins to the priest, and the priest absolves him of his sins, he turns around and turns the priest in. And then comes as the priest is being carted off, he goes, please forgive me, forgive me. And the priest is like, I forgive you again. You know, it's like this over and over. So that's another interesting aspect of the movie, too, that this, there's this continual repentance and forgiving. And, but then you ask yourself, what is real repentance in this, in this light? How about not turning the priest in? That's pretty good for a start. Um, but what are you going to do? Anyways, um, so it's not for the faint of heart. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody. Um, but here we go. Uh, finishing off this last little bit before we move on, because we've got a lot to get through on the next part. I don't, in the commentary, Dr. Kleinen goes chapter 11, one through, verses 1 through 31. We're not going to get that far today, because there's too much to talk about. Um, so we'll go to about chapter 11, verse 16 or so. But I want to, before we get into that, I want to reiterate a few things before we get into chapter 11, because what happens at the end of chapter 10 leads into chapter 11, where um, uh, as you say, he says, "But we are not though we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith." And preserve their souls. Now, what is meant by this? This preserving of your soul by faith. Uh, what do you all think about that? That he says, we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Lays it out pretty good. Lays it out pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Is anybody, what do y'all think about, because like, what it makes me think of is there's some sort of, I don't know, whenever I hear something about like, you know, us actively doing something when it comes to salvation, right, preserving our souls, it makes me think of some sort of, uh, you know, being, being Lutherans, we say we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, right? That there's, it's, it's all very passive. That we receive God's grace passively. There's nothing we can do to earn God's favor. We just simply receive it by trusting that he has died for our sins, right? So when I hear things like this... Sometimes a little, you know, uh, warning goes off in my head of like how some people can mistake something like this. Uh, you know, have we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls, meaning that we are doing something to preserve our souls as opposed to just simply receiving that. Does that, does that kind of make sense or am I making too much of it? Because what I can see this... What I can see happening here is maybe someone of the Baptist persuasion saying, you know, well, yeah, I mean, you just have to choose to have faith, right? There's the free will, their misunderstanding of free will, put those in air quotes, 
free will to say, you know, you see these signs all the time as if there's a voting ballot, you know, choose Jesus. But while that's very American in a way, it's not biblical. So I understand what this is saying to be that God is giving us the faith, right? He gives us our faith. There's nothing we can do to earn it. We just receive it by the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? That uh, that's the mystery, right? It's not rational for us to have faith in something we can't see. It is purely given to us as a gift that the Holy Spirit, in hearing the word of God, the Holy Spirit actively works and creates faith within our hearts so that we are given the ability to believe, to trust in God. It's purely a, a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a work of reason, and it's not a work of natural will or strength within us, right? We are so sinful that by ourselves, we could never believe. That's why we say in the small catechism, rightly, you know, um, uh, in the third article of the Creed, you remember that? And I believe in the Holy Spirit, right? That it's like, what, is, what does this mean? And Luther writes, um, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In his Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true, right? It's very passive. But the, the Holy Spirit is working through us to grant us, um, grant us the faith that is necessary for salvation. So I just want to clarify those things, right? Um, we are of those. We are of the line of the faithful. That's what he's getting at here at the end of chapter 10. We are not, those, we are not of those or of those ilk that shrink back, right? And are destroyed, but of those who have faith, who have been given that glorious gift. We have been given the glorious gift of faith, and therefore our souls are preserved because of God's gracious gift. Right? Think of it that way. Maybe I'm making too much of it. So, but I just wanted to clarify those things because uh, even in the Lutheran Church, because it's so easy to understand, it makes a lot of sense. Choose Jesus, you know, make a choice for Jesus today. You hear Franklin Graham talk about it all the time, uh, you know, where it's, it's, it's hard to talk about because Franklin Graham, he's sharing the gospel. He is. But when he gets to the part where he says, and if you believe this too, all you have to do is say this prayer and you will be saved. And it's like, well, then you're making them do something, Franklin. All they have to do is believe. You know, if you really want them to pray a prayer, have them pray our father who art in heaven. Right. Um, that's much better than the 
Jesus prayer that they have in the Baptist church. I'm sorry, Baptists out there that are listening to this, but you know, you can't argue with Jesus. Um, he taught us to pray. It's the perfect prayer. So, um, yes, Audrey, before we move on. Yep. We hear a lot of people say, just have faith. Yeah. And they've got, that's an active thing. They, they think they're involved in doing something rather than in receiving. Right. So there's a lot of that in Christian circles. Just have faith. Yeah, just have faith. That's, that's, that's really good. Um, you do hear that a lot. It's good that you brought that up because my response to that is whenever, whenever anyone says, you know, un, unless I know what they mean, unless I know who's talking to me or whatever, uh, you know, I'll, I won't say this, but sometimes I'm really tempted to say when someone says, oh, you know, if, if you say, I'm just having a really hard time right now, and they go, just have faith. And I wanna go, in what? Can you finish the sentence, please? Because that's an incomplete sentence. Just have faith. Because faith by itself is not enough. Faith has to have an object. All right? Think about that. You have to have faith in something. It's impossible not to. Atheists will say, I don't believe in God. It's like, well, you believe in something. You have faith in something, whether that be yourself, your government, your money, your job, or whatever, your family, whatever. Luther rightfully says in the large catechism on the first, first, article, on the first commandment, you know, you shall have no other gods. He says, what is a god? Lowercase g, right? What is a god? A god is anything that we put our full trust in, right? It's something that we hold to the highest esteem. It's something that our heart fully trusts and fears and loves, you know. That's why he says, you know, we, we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. And whatever else you fear, love, and trust in above all things, that is your God. Call yourself an atheist all you want. It's impossible, you know. But the thing is, is that people will say, have faith. And, I, and what a great way of, Proclaiming the saving gospel. Have faith that Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins and, and saved you from eternal death and damnation. That's much better than anything the world can throw at you. Have faith in that, right? Um, have faith in the fact that God loved you so much that he sent his only son to die for you, even though you don't deserve it. And all you have to do is trust that he has done this and you will be saved. And then once you've been saved, if you haven't been baptized, let's go get you baptized. I know a pastor. Right? Um, so yeah, that's a good point. Just have faith. Have faith in Christ. That's important. Yeah. And it's often misused by saying, and I've heard this at two funeral services here in this church, where it said this Man had so much faith. Every time I went to visit him, he expressed his faith, his faith, his faith. I heard that. And I was playing the organ, and I sat there. And, now, tell him what his faith was in. Right. What kind of faith did he have? Right. And it, it didn't happen. Yeah. So we, I think we have to be careful. We, sure. It's easy to say, he, she had so much faith without going on and saying, 
She trusted in the Lord. Yeah. Or whatever. Yeah. Add that. However you want to say it. Yeah. Uh, it's important. Because a funeral, it's not for the dead. No. It's for the living. Right? It's for the living. That um, the person who is in the casket uh, is, you know, by all accounts from what we can say of whether they were baptized and how they lived their life and things like that, they're with their Lord and they are awaiting burials for the final day when the resurrection comes. And that's the opportunity for a pastor to preach the gospel to the people because they're already afflicted by the law in some sense, but because the wages of sin is death. So it's not about preaching the law and saying, he was a sinner and so are you and you need Jesus. It's about, you know, though this person believed, they still died. And that is the fate of all mankind this side of Christ's return. But this is not the end for him. The end is eternal life in Christ, which he trusted because he told me so this time, this time, this time. That's a great way of put, putting it, that saying that faith has to be in something. And we're going to move on here into chapter 11 to see how the people of old believed what faith is. And we'll start here. I'll, I'll only go to about verse 16, uh, and, and we'll finish it off next time. Uh, but here, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 16 now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, now before he was taken... He was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he, that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, 
even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the, she by, by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are, that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, we'll stop there. Uh, it, and, it, and, it, and it goes on. It goes on and on and on, talking about by faith Abraham, right? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. All these different champions of faith, right? Um, now, this is talking about, uh, it's elaborating and filling in the people who are listening to this sermon, right? It's a sermon. It's how it's traditionally, traditionally thought. That the teacher of the congregation, the person delivering this message is teaching them in a way and he leads off, you know, at the end of chapter 10, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are of those who have faith and preserve their souls, like like Noah, like Abraham, like the patriarchs who came before us, right? We are of that ilk, who when they were told by God to do these things, or they were told by God to trust because of the promise that was made to them, they believed, right? They were given the faith to believe. We are of those class of people, those believers. And that includes us here today, that we can call um, Abraham our father in the faith, right? That, that Abraham believed and it was counted to him as righteousness, right? That all who believe as Abraham did are his children in the faith, right? They don't have to be blood descendants, as was once thought. Um, and we see this, this is kind of a rhetorical uh, tool by the preacher by repeating the thing by faith, by faith, by faith, right? By faith, so-and-so did this. By faith, so-and-so did that, right? And um, who does he start with, though? Out of, out of all of the descendants, or out of all the ancestors, right, that he starts with, the ancestors in the faith, who does he start with, though? Does he start with... Yeah, he starts with Abel. But before he starts with Abel, who does he appeal to first as having faith? In verse 3. What does he say? He says, by faith, who understands? We. we understand. Right? He appeals to the congregation first. 
saying, by faith, we understand, right? We, the children of God here in this place at this time, you know, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Um, now, to go back a little bit to verses 1 and 2, you may hear this all the time. People say, like, what do you mean by faith? What does faith mean? And people often quote these two verses, right? Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, right? That's usually what people give us the definition of faith. And oftentimes, I've heard that told to someone, and they go, okay, so, right? It needs a little bit ex extra explanation because it's not really a definition. It's like a proverb. And proverbs are things that ought to be mulled over, right? Uh, we talked about, when I first got here, we talked about... Um, uh, grace upon grace, what biblical meditation is, right? Biblical meditation is like a cow chewing its cud. It just kind of works it over and over and over again, right? And that's what the author of Hebrews is trying to do with the congregation that he's preaching to before he launches into this long list of faithful fathers and, you know, that came before. He wants you to have that ruminating in your mind. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What does that mean in the sense of how we believe that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible? What does... What does verse 1, you know, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. What does that mean in light of how um, Abel had faith? What does that mean in regards to uh, how Enoch had faith, Noah and Abraham, right? It's something that we should keep applying because... There are similarities there with how each of these men believed and how it was counted to them as righteousness. So, because in, in verse 2 it says, For by it the people of old received their commendation. Right? By faith they received these great things. Um, and he starts with us. Now, it says... By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Um, it's kind of interesting. Um, uh, the understanding of what we know about faith. Um, so, I don't know how deep in the weeds I should get with all this, because there, there, there are systematicians and dogmaticians, you know, these people who uh, sit down and really try and hash out the finer points of theology, and they'll come up with terms in Latin like fides quae creditur and fides qua creditur, right? And, and I'm not going to belabor y'all with all those definitions, but there's a difference between... Um, Faith um, in, uh, let me see, 
trying to think here. Faith is both, this is how Dr. Kleinig says it, so I'm just going to read what he says, because it's better than I can, I'll try and elaborate. He says, here, faith is both what is believed, what God has promised and now provides through his word, and it's believing in what God says. So what is believed is the basis for hope, the thing on which it rests, as well as the assurance that what believers hope for has a sure foundation. I'm not sure if that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, but if you see that there's these two terms, fides quae and fides qua, you know, it's what is believed, and then there's also um, believing what God says. So it's like the substance of belief and then the, the way you believe. And We can get into it more if you want later, but we'll leave it alone for now. Why am I belaboring it? Because I want to show you that faith is a very simple thing, right? It's simple trust. Why are you assuming that we don't understand faith? I'm not assuming that you don't understand it. I'm just trying to say that faith is, is a very simple thing, but sometimes we can boil it down so much that we forget the complexity of it all. Um, it's very easy sometimes to forget that faith is actually a mystery. It's a mysterious thing how people can believe in a God that has created all that is seen out of nothing. Right? It doesn't make sense. And therefore, we should, we should understand that it's a little more complex sometimes. And that's why I'm, I'm trying to stay out of the weeds as much as possible because, you know, it gets pretty hairy because you're trying to explain a mystery. And sometimes even when you give these terms and these, these uh, 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 explanations, it, it kind of makes things harder to understand. But the reason why I'm bringing them up is because that's just how complex it can be. And it might be that that's, a, that's an obstacle for somebody. Right? How can I believe in a God that has created all this stuff, yet there's so much pain and suffering in the world? Right? Uh, how can I believe in a God that, that uh, will allow, um, will allow like, such a beautiful sunset or sunrise or a, such a beautiful child, but then also uh, permit death and destruction and disease and all these other things? Right? I mean, that's a real problem for some people. Um, and sometimes I think we forget that. Uh, and so it's incumbent upon me to kind of push y'all a little bit to realize it's not always so simple. Uh, it's simple for us. Thanks be to God. We have been given this wonderful gift of faith to say, yes, Lord, I believe. Thank you for this great gift. While others are so afflicted or deceived by Satan that it's, it's a struggle that the seed falls on hardened ground and can't germinate and grow because Satan swoops down and steals that seed of faith from ever being planted in, right? So it's a mystery, uh, and that's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> Paul, Paul, yeah. Pertain to faith. 
clean heart. So what does that have to do with faith? In, in, it's a faithful exclamation. Yeah, we are faithfully calling on God. You know, in Psalm 51, uh, he said 10. Yeah, create in, you know, it's the offertory that we sing. You know, create in me a clean heart, oh God. Right? We go on and on. Um, and it's a faithful exclamation that is directly from the Word of God. Um, and what's interesting here, to go back to our text in Hebrews, we see in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 3 of Hebrews, by faith we understand that the universe was created by what? The Word of God. Right? So that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And we see here that um, we affirm that God creates with his word. And he not only creates the heavens and the earth, he creates new creations out of us by the word of Christ that is spoken to us by the word of Christ that's found in the Psalms like Psalm 51. That God promises to create in us a clean heart by his word, right? Um, that he delivers us from our sins and afflictions by his word. And his word is what delivers the wonderful gift of grace that we can understand by faith. That Christ has died for us. That he not only has created all that we see, and as splendorous as what we see is, especially in beautiful Fredericksburg, the hills and the trees and everything, it's beautiful here. To understand that this pales in comparison to the new creation that will come when Christ returns and raises the dead for the final judgment and the final um, proclamation and creating of the new heavens and the new earth. That the beautiful sunlight and the sky and the trees and everything that we have here will pale in comparison right, to the city of God that we will live in on the last day. And doesn't that sound kind of crazy? <laughs> Stop and think about that for a second. Doesn't that sound kind of crazy? Um, uh, last night... Amelia and I were watching, we were just trying to find something to watch, and on Netflix we found uh, this show called Doomsday Preppers. Y'all ever heard of this show? Doomsday Preppers. So they prep for doomsday, right? Uh, it's crazy. These, these, you know, they'll, well, you know, some of them are legitimate fears, economic collapse, you know, um, crop shortages, you know, uh, the, um, power grid going out, whatever. One lady had this weird, um, this weird um, voice, which we would understand as a demon, uh, coming and telling her that a comet was going to hit the earth at some point in time, and you gotta get somewhere, so they bought this, like, they bought 40 acres in the Smoky Mountains in North Carolina, 
And the house that they bought had like tons of rooms, uh, already had seeds and prepping stuff ready, had solar panels, had deep wells, had all these, and like everything was already laid out for them and they just kind of picked up where whoever lived there before or left off. It was pretty crazy. But we were watching this going, what these people believe is nuts. Some of it's kind of plausible, but they go a little too far with it. I wonder what they think about what we believe. That, you know, we can prep and prepare all we want, but in the end, all that stuff's going to get blown away when Christ returns. There's nowhere you can hide. There's nowhere you can be to bug out, as they say, you know. No matter how far away that you get in the mountains to get away from... Uh, whatever economic collapse or whatever sort of collapse this world may face, Christ will find you on the last day and all the prepping that you've done, it'll be like the rich fool who um, stored away everything in his barn saying to himself, you know, self, I, I've, I've, I've got enough to where I can just relax now. And then the Lord comes and says, you fool, your soul is required of you tonight. And what good is all this that you've stored up for yourself? It's all gone now. So it's kind of interesting that people will believe some crazy stuff, but I wonder what they believe about, I wonder what they think about what we believe. That, uh, you know, in the last day, Christ will return with a shout, the cry of command, the dead will be raised. And <laughs> we who are the faithful will be uh, brought into the new heavens and the new earth where we won't need the Son anymore because the Lamb, the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, will be our Son, you know, our source of light. It defies reason. It defies expectations. But God has promised it. And He's promised it with His Word, right? Um, and in these words, we have hope. We have eternal hope now. Not because it sounds good. Not because um, we so desperately need to believe it because it's the best thing out there to believe. We believe primarily, I mean, this is, and this is a good case for apologetics here. Uh, we believe these things because God's word speaks of a man named Jesus Christ, who lived on earth, who died, and on the third day rose from the dead, with witnesses that attested to his resurrection. More than three, right? Hundreds of people attested to his resurrection. Now, if there's only one man who died and rose from the dead, only one man in history, who did that? Don't you think we should listen to him and what he has to say? It's probably really important, right? And because we see this beginning of a fulfillment of the resurrection in Christ to new life, to eternal life, we can know that God's promises are sure. We know that his word is true because of what took place through Christ. Right?
Um, we're running out of time. Um, we'll we'll cover this some more, and we'll move on to the end to to verse thirty-one. We'll we'll get into Abel and Enoch, Noah, and Abraham. We'll we'll get into these things because there's just, there's a lot there. Uh, it's just I just want to take some time though, and I hope you don't mind me taking time to really talk about the essence of faith. That it is a simple thing, but you can also see that it's very complex because it's a mystery. And it defies reason. Um, so in some ways it's comforting and in some ways it's frustrating because you can't reason someone into faith. Right? You can't argue somebody into believing. It's purely by the power of the Holy Spirit that someone comes to faith. Um, so, any questions before we close? Yeah. Hopefully I can summarize it quickly enough. Yeah. To me, faith comes from God, period. Right. Can't get any place else. And what I see in Hebrews here, especially in, I guess it's verse 30, the last verse of chapter 10, is that he's warning us that you have faith. Mm. And be careful when you're challenged in your faith that you don't shrink back. Because if you do, you endanger your salvation because you can lose your faith. Yeah, um, that's a good point. And in fact, that's something that I meant to talk about, how I know it's a logical fallacy. If, if, if y'all have studied logical fallacies, one of the logical fallacies is the slippery slope, right? Just to say, you know, the slippery slope, you heard that argument? You know, oh, you know, if, if you allow this, then it's going to be that, and then it's going to be that, and then that, and then that, and then that, you know, it just kind of goes down the slippery slope. Technically, that's a logical fallacy, but according to Scripture, it's real, uh, especially when it comes to faith. Because um, the slippery slope is, um, uh, at least Dr. Kleinig reads it this way, and he lays it out this way, that... Um, Uh, the slippery slope begins with um, impenitence, so not being remorseful for your sins, thinking that you don't have to ask for forgiveness for certain things, right? Uh, then the next is, is um, inattention, so disregarding, not paying attention to God's word. The next one is resistance of the Holy Spirit. Resistance of, uh, you know, if you know that there's something that you should do, but you don't do it. If you know that there's something that you shouldn't do, but you do do it. And you know these things because God's word says you shouldn't do them or you should do them. But you say, forget about it. I don't want to hear it. Resistance of the Holy Spirit. The next one is hardened heart. You begin to harden your heart toward the things of God. The next one is boredom. Right? If by that point in time, you come to church still on Sundays just because it's what you've always done, you can get bored with what happens. Um, and uh, it was put, I read it this, this way once, you know, we do certain things in the divine service that if you experience them for the first time, you may think, wow, this is amazing. I never seen this done anywhere else, right? Look how much 
parts of the word of God that they sing and they, they confess and they believe. But then the more you come and the more you see, the more bored you can get with it, right? And there was, uh, there's, there's a layman who wrote this piece about how he likened the divine service to, um, and, and its relation to what the foretastes of the feast to come in heaven is going to be like with the Boy Scout Jamboree. <laughs> it's kind of funny. When he was a kid, before he was a Boy Scout, his brothers, his older brothers were Boy Scouts. And he would go to the Boy Scout Jamboree uh, with his parents to go pick up his brothers and he would see all these things going on. He's like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait till I'm a Boy Scout and I can be a part of the Jamboree. But then after a couple of years being a Boy Scout in the Jamboree, it got old. It got boring. It's like, that's the same thing every year. And now being, being a grown man, he says, you know, it's, it's the same way with the divine service. That we come in every Sunday and there's the temptation to be bored. Because, ugh, how many times have I sang the offertory? Yeah. Create in me a clean heart, oh God, and renew. Yeah, let's get on with it. You know, it's that sort of thing. M not realizing or forgetting and sliding into boredom and forgetting that if you're bored with what happens in worship, you're not going to enjoy heaven. Because heaven is... is Ceaseless worship. It's ceaseless worship. In Revelation, you see, you know, the saints never stop singing praises to God. Even through whatever work they're doing in the new creation, right? There's going to be work. We're, we're going to joyfully tend to things. But we'll be singing praises the whole way. So if you don't like divine service because you're too bored with it, you're not going to enjoy heaven very much. Um... Right. <laughs> and after boredom, to continue down the slippery slope, after boredom, there's gradual withdrawal. You stop coming so much. Because you think, I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm not getting fed. Right? And then after gradual withdrawal comes the rejection of God's Son. That after separating yourself from the body of Christ, it's really easy to say... Eh, I don't need to go to church anymore. I'm actually a lot happier not going to church because I don't hear about how I'm a sinner and how I need salvation. So that's a good point. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Tim. That like there is a slippery slope when it comes to withdrawing from the faith. Um, so we have to be careful. We have to be watchful. And that part of that goes with looking to our forefathers in the faith. The hardships they faced, the ridicule they faced, and yet the promise that was fulfilled at the end of it all because they trusted in God. Right? All right. We'll stop there. We're way over time. Um, but it was a good discussion. Thanks for all the, the you know, good, good uh, uh, questions. Thanks for keeping me on task <laughs> with, uh, with, <laughs> with things. So thanks for keeping me on task. Um, not getting too far in the weeds. Um, any final questions, concerns, comments? No? All right, then. Well, let's close with the Lord's Prayer, then. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.